Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with educator, independently published author and writer, Lolly Davidson. She is the author of novels Blue Woman Burning, a magical, realistic, coming-of-age novel, Against the Grain, an environmental thriller with a mystical twist, and Beyond Sight, a ghostly story set in Saratoga Springs, New York. Her collection of experimental and fabulous short stories, Strange Appetites, won the Adirondack Center for Writing's People's Choice Award. As a professor of fiction writing and public speaking, she won the Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Scholarship and Creative Activity. Not only is she a distinguished professor, but she is also a very seasoned storyteller with a lot of great stories. Enjoy this interview. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So I'm coming out of Kansas City. Where are you coming out of? I'm in upstate New York in Saratoga Springs. Okay. Wonderful. Like about it's like three hours above New York City, and it's like a beautiful kind of Victorian town, famous for the racetrack. Okay. Yeah. So it's a different world when you get out of the rock, huh? Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, I mean, I love um, New York City to visit, but um, stressful uh, to live there. I, I lived there for three years. I'll never do that again. <laughs> I, I, You know, I had family. Dad was born in Brooklyn and raised in Long Island, and I visited oh. Oh, so you've got the, it's in your genes then. I guess so. And I heard a story late, late in life that my dad was done with Kansas City. So he, he got out of the military and uh -huh. was hot to trot to get out and get into the Air Force. And he got stations at Richards Gebauer here in Kansas City. Fell in love and here we are. But the thing is, is that I heard a story way late in life that he wanted to go back to New York. So we almost became transplants, but it didn't <laughs> happen. So it yeah. was, uh. But I've been there enough, and as much as I like the urban hustle, that's a lot on the human nerves. That is... <laughs> yeah, something I think I have now... I mean, I, I got diagnosed with ADHD late in life. Yeah. And now I, I get it. It's uh, The stimulation is too much. You know, ADHD is not a lack of attention. It's too much attention. So when I was in New York, I mean, I loved people watching, but it was just overwhelming because everything was everybody was interesting in some different way. And yeah. then there's a lot of sounds and a lot of sense. And um, it was just exhausting. Yeah, my son's on the autism spectrum. So when I take him to things, like I took him to a KU football game recently, and he was just kind of like, uh, this is uh, this is too much. And he ended up kind of laying down and getting into a place and got into it. It takes a little bit, but it was yeah. definitely like New York would be just no escape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. How old is he? 18. 18. Yeah. So he's getting to that place where he's learning, just learning how to handle the rest of the world sort of. Yeah. It, in varying degrees. Yeah. And I'm getting better at recognizing when I start seeing the look and then I'm like, all right, let's, let's go. It's too much. Yeah. But I, he's yeah. definitely been tailored his whole life. We're very active doing a lot of things, getting in front of crowds. He loves sports. But I can just tell sometimes it's like we got to take a step back. So it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I get a lot of because I teach at a community college and, and we have some sort of liaison, some sort of relationship with a center for autism. So we get a lot of students with autism, I would say two or three in every class. So I I'm really, you know, get learning it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different skill abilities. You know, there's a lot of difference from person to person, but um, I kind of love my autistic students. I just, 
they they don't I they don't have a filter. Right. I also have a little trouble with filters. So I I kind of love their candor. Um and you know, some of them are more um you know, kind of uh tuned in and able to focus than others. Mm-hmm. So, but I but I love I love the candor. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, and they don't have the hang-ups of they don't get hung up on typical things, which is refreshing. So yeah, yeah. You know, but at any rate, it's great to meet you. And I want to begin our conversation before we get into your world of writing and being an author by addressing this whole three and a half years of living through a pandemic. How did you get through it and how did it change you? Interesting question. Uh, You know, it wasn't as hard for me as it was, say, for my child, my adult child, um, because, I mean, I guess there was that first, you know, shocking moment when we were told, all right, you're going on vacation and you may not be coming back, start putting your classes online. And so there was a lot of stress with suddenly having to learn a whole lot of new technology. And I can remember sitting on my bed at some points just going, ah, you know, I can't. Yeah. But um, then we we adapted fairly quickly and I learned how to use Zoom and the breakout rooms in a way that, you know, I was able to keep my students kind of uh, engaged. So it, it went I, and I think also for me, that first kind of emergency where we stopped, it was kind of eye-opening. And, and, it, and in some ways, I had some hope for America. It was kind of like, like, oh, this is so good. This is a fir- the first time in my lived history that I have seen the nation say, we're going to do something for the good of others, for the good of the whole, that is going to personally hurt but we're going to do it because it's good for the whole. And I thought, this is good. This is a good thing. But then, of course, as the years dragged on, like I, you know, I was telling myself it's going to be six weeks. And, you know, as the years dragged on, um, you know, it got fatiguing. And and I and I was really glad to be done with Zoom by the yeah. time we got there. And and I think the students also kind of, they rallied at first. And then by the, the end of that second year, we, everybody was just checked out yeah um and i was getting pretty sick of it yeah yeah and i don't know but for me i'm an introvert so i i like to be home yeah and i um i really like to interact with people one-on-one uh so zoom kind of works for me right um but uh and now i'm watching you know i guess the fallout from the shutdown um, the students haven't yeah. really, they still haven't recovered, I guess. No. They're still, I mean, I always had passive, our students are typically quite passive anyway, but I think this gave them permission to kind of dig in to that passivity and, um, you know, uh, getting people to hand in work is harder than ever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an adjustment. My, my day job is as an IT technician in a school district. Yeah. Uh, I can see the the remnants and it's going to take a while for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's get to the heart and soul of everything you do for a living. I'm going to put you in front of third graders. It's career okay. day. Okay? okay. One of the kids looks up and says, Hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? Well, I guess I would say I'm a writer, teacher, or a teacher writer. 
Um, and the two are very closely connected in my mind. Um, teaching probably takes the most of my time and I, and I love it. It's also hard. It's really yeah. hard. Um, it's a dance. And so what I love about teaching is every day is different. Um, and you're engaging meaningfully with people all day long. And I love that. Um, that's where I, I prefer to live in, in meaningful engagement. And then writing is also a meaningful engagement. I guess third graders wouldn't maybe get what meaningful engagement is. But um, they might. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're talking about things that matter to you and when you're um, striving to improve in some way. And um, I think writing is particularly important because it's something you can't fake. You yeah. know, you can. You can fake a lot of stuff, but you can't fake writing. And it requires that you use all the different parts of your brain, which is frequently, I think, why people don't like it. You know, that having all those different parts have to having to coordinate them is is hard. Uh, it takes practice, you know. It, it, it's intellectual swimming because I hear that swimming, you use every muscle in your body. Oh, I love that. That's a great metaphor. Intellectual <laughs> swimming. Yes, indeed. Said. Yeah, I can remember in college, you know, when I, I really wanted to write, but I really struggled with it. And, it. and it really felt like that. It felt like my brain was just like, you know, because I was like, how is it you're supposed to let your brain go free flowing and sort of throw out a lot of different ideas, but then you're at the same time, you're supposed to select them and pin them down one by one into words and those are opposing activities. Yeah. And so getting so it becomes a dance. And that's what you learn is that, well, it's, it's a bit of a dance and you just keep dancing and it gets easier. That's it. That's it. Practice. It's all about practice. So yeah. what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream to grow up and become? You know, I, my, when I was five, I wanted to be a doctor because my aunts and uncles were all doctors. And I really loved um, the idea of physical healing and... Um, but I decided fairly early, so third grade, I was like seven at that point, I decided fairly early, oh, no, I think I still wanted to be a doctor in seventh grade, because I had stomach, um, I had a problem with stomach aches, a lot of a lot of tension, a lot of stress. And in third grade, I was in Israel, our family traveled a lot. And uh, my parents were, you know, they're English professors. And they they loved authentic travel, which meant you go to a country and you 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 get into the school and you meet the people like you're it's not like an embassy where you're kind of isolated. Yeah. So there I was plunked down in the middle of uh, an Israeli school and having to learn Hebrew and my it made my stomach hurt. Um, so I remember my mom got me a book on that showed you sort of what happens with your stomach and the acid coming in and. Um, and that fascinating. She's like, you want to be a doctor, so you need to learn this stuff. So I, I did love that. But somewhere along the line, I decided I wasn't smart enough. And I, I don't have many regrets in life, but that's, that's one. I'm, I'm sorry that I made that, just that I counted myself out so early. Yeah. But are you happy with where you're at now, writing and teaching? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there is a healing element to writing and teaching that I, definitely spend a lot of time on yeah know. for sure yeah so who's been a hero for you who's been an inspiration that's fueled who you are 
Like in life or like a famous person or in life? Just in life. Yeah. And it could be a Venn diagram that that intersects, but more more than anything else, someone that's really inspired and motivated you to become who you are. Well, I mean, I I I have to say my mother first. I mean, it, it, it was not an easy relationship with her. She was very, very smart. Um, but she set an example example for us very you know early she was a she worked full time but had a lot of babies and loved having babies <laughs> mm. so there were five of us so she worked full time she came home and cooked and then she taught us how to play music and i mean i don't know how i don't i i have a lot of energy compared to some people but not like hers <laughs> but she was definitely an inspiration but she was also intimidating because i didn't think i could achieve i didn't think i could do what she did but Another person who was really important in my life was this, um, my Spanish teacher in high school. Her name was Pilar. And she was from Spain. She had this wonderful, thick, you know, Spanish accent. And just she, she was very observant of, she was sort of everything my mother was not. She, my mother was a, a kind of a warrior worker who did not have time for emotions. And Pilar was a woman who, could look at you and read what was on your face and say, let's have some tea and let's talk. And so she had such depth and she also spoke with great beauty. She used beautiful metaphors and she told great stories. And um, so she was a person that I considered, I used to say, oh, she's what I would call a personally great. I, I think my mother kind of raised me to think that the only thing that was acceptable is if you became famous and, and if you were a genius. Um, and Pilar was an example of personal greatness, of living life fully and richly and interacting with people meaningfully. So if you can meet one person alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who would it be? If I could be one person? or If you could meet one person alive on the planet right now. Oh, damn. How do I reduce it to one person? <laughs> or I guess you could have a, you could have a dinner. <laughs> right now, I would love to talk to um, oh, uh, uh, Mike Flanagan, the director, writer of The um, Haunting of Hill House. Mike Flanagan and maybe John Stewart? Maybe okay. there. But yeah. um, it's interesting they're all men. But um, Mike Flanagan, I just feel like Sometimes he says things and I'm like, I wrote that. Yeah. How did you have that same thought? Like if somebody <laughs> reads my book, they're going to think I'm copying him, but it's just that we thought the same way. And I swear to God, he must've had the same, like he must come from a big family. Cause when you watch the haunting of Hill house, the, the detail, the relationship between the siblings, I, I really connect with that. We, or the Beatles said in that lyric, everything that's been written has been written before. Everything that's been, you know, one way yeah. or another, we're all oscillating around each other blindly, you know. Yes, so. yeah. And I do things, I think that ideas get into the air um, and start to float around. It's partly they're being talked about on social media, but some of it is just, yeah, the same incidents inspire the same reactions in some people. Yeah, we're all a bunch of energy particles just blobbing around, you know. <laughs> totally. Yes, I totally agree with that. So what was the first book in your life that really opened the door up to either making you want to read or write someday? Um, 
the I remember I struggled a little bit with writing when I was younger. And again, I had all these siblings who were smarter than I was and better at reading. And reading was like a big thing. My mother read to us every night. So I was a little intimidated, but the, there was this book. I don't even remember the name of it, but it, I think I was probably in third grade and, or maybe, maybe a little older. Anyway, it was about Nazi Germany. It was about a family that was hiding. Um, they were, uh, uh, their neighbors or somebody was hiding them upstairs in their room and they had blocked out the windows. So they, they just, they could not go outside ever and they could never open the windows or look out the windows because they might be seen. And I remember sitting in the car reading, like as my mother was driving me to a dentist appointment or something. And I looked up and there was a person on the road and I thought, oh my God, they've seen me. Yeah. And even though it was an upsetting experience, the being captured like that by a book, being completely pulled in so that you were living that life and feeling it um, was an amazing experience for me. So that was when I really started to love reading. You know, not every book did that to me, but I loved that experience. And then I don't know what book in the book that maybe inspired me to really want to write. I mean, another book that had a huge impact on me early in life was A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Um, that the the example of that older sister taking care of her younger brother who was kind of a misfit, and then having to him being sort of um abducted and then her having to save him through love, I really connected with that. Um but that question of when did I really want to start writing? Um, I don't know. You know, my my mother, my grandmother used to recite poetry to me, and my yeah. father also wrote poetry. So I early learned that that language could be very, very beautiful. And I that was, and I really started with that kind of poet's desire to tinker with words yeah. but i loved stories and i but i struggled to understand plotting i really just didn't get it i just wanted to play with words and you know and they didn't really make good stories <laughs> but i didn't <laughs> like poetry because i was intimidated by poetry so um i would just write very poetic prose with no plot um and then it wasn't until i started teaching and actually having to read some of the manuals on how to write that I really understood how to do plotting. So what's your motivation every day you wake up and you do all of these things to help your students and your writing, what is that motivation for you to do what you want to do? I guess I really, I really identify with having a strong purpose in life. And for me, having a purpose is being connected to something that's larger than you you know, I, I feel like, you know, we were, it's like this incredibly lucky thing that I got to be a human being. Like, I feel like when you talk about energy particles, like this comet was, you know, flying through the sky and it, I, I could have ended up being a tomato, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be this amazing thing called a human, which is both a terribly, a terrible thing and a beautiful, amazing thing at the same time. So I strongly believe that love is, is really important is like the most important thing in life. And that, you know, since we get this chance to be a human being that, you know, we need to self-actualize, we need to become the best thing we can be. Yeah. And that 
the world is a better place if we um, help other people and help, you know, which which includes ourselves. It, it took me a long time to understand that helping other people includes helping me. Yeah. Um, for, you know, I think particularly when you're a female, you're, you get the message of like, put other people first, put other people first. And um, I had to learn to um, include myself in help, helping others. So um, once I got that balance straight, that's, that's really what motivates me is I, I want, I want to get better at writing. I want to get better at handling human interactions. I want to get better at teaching. I want to get, I want to make sure that I'm um, both inspiring my students, but also challenging them. And also there's, a, I have a lot of underperforming students. And um, if I have any regrets about teaching, it's the times that I accidentally shamed students. Um, it's so easy to do. Uh, you just go when they don't hand in your homework and, and they might be just overwhelmed by a wave of shame. And I, I just, every year try to become more aware of that and try to do it less, but also go, okay, but I really need to see your work. Yeah. Like, yeah. like but I can't pass you just because I like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> speaking of youth and students, if you have a dream tonight, you run into the college age version of yourself and you could give that version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained in your life up to this point. What advice would you give your younger self? Get into therapy a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't waste any time, any more time. Like get that therapy and get on, take some antidepressants. Yeah. <laughs> Life is short. Yeah. Do all healthy things too. Like I do think I suffered with anxiety, which felt like depression a lot of times. Um, you know, exercising, sleeping, eating well. Um, these are all really, really important, but, and therapy is important, but sometimes your chemistry is just a little messed up. Yeah. 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 And there's no shame in taking a pill for it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What's been the best letter, best fan response you've gotten from your work? Oh, oh, um, the ones I like the best are when somebody says, oh, this story is exactly me and my sister. That's yeah. it. That's it. I feel like, okay, I have achieved my goal in life. You know, <laughs> that if I could articulate a lived experience that is speaking for somebody else as well and helping them through it, helping them understand it better, then then I've achieved my job. So everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, students, but you ultimately run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Gosh, you have such great questions. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a tough one because, you know, we struggle with other people's, you know, images that they sort of push on to you. Um, I think that I'm a pretty, you know, it's it's very confusing. <laughs> it's I think I'm a pretty powerful person. I think I, I'm pretty energetic. I have, a, I, I like, I think, think that I have a lot of energy that just kind of emanates through my body. Um, you know, I... I was the question again. Who am? Who am I? Who yeah, am I? your per, your perception ultimately of who you are, because it's projected differently with everybody. But you're the one in control. Yeah, I guess what I'm proudest about, and what it took me a long time to understand, is that I have a very even bouquet of intelligences. So, um, you know, like I'm 
I'm good at writing. I'm good at speaking. I'm good at dancing. I'm good at, I can do math if I have to. I get science. Um, but I don't, ex- I, I not, I never felt that I excelled like I was, I mean, maybe some people think I excel in writing, but I never felt that I was really a standout. But what made me a standout was that I had all these even intelligences, which then allowed me to jump around and use them, which makes me very flexible and versatile. Um, but I didn't, it took me a long time to understand that that's, that was my secret power was this, this even bouquet of, of abilities. So you're going to be the one that everybody's going to want on Family Feud. You're the contestant that we're going to want. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you I, got I, an even. You got an even field of in- intelligences. That's true, perfect. but I don't retain information very yeah. well, like names and dates. Man, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have I, to. I have to move through things. Like uh, I do as a storytelling. I have to remember things, but it and I do that by movement. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to get your books, learn more about you, anything about your world, reach out. What is the best way for people to do that? Yeah. If you go to lollydavidson.com, it looks like Lale, L-A-L-E, Davidson, D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N.com. That has all the links to both my writing, uh, my books, the publications, my um, you know blog posts, writing exercises and things like that. You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about uh, the composer and pianist Carla Blay, who passed recently. Mm. And I interviewed her years ago, and she said something to me that I will, I always remember. And it's about kind of who she was. People finally figured out later in life and was like, I got it finally. And I think about what you said about writing, because I write a lot. That mm. is the one thing you can't fake. And if you want to get to the heart of people, then that's how you do it. I remember I was trying to hire somebody at a computer lab. I'm in technology. And, you know, everybody will say whatever they want in an interview. And I mm-hmm. said, here, I want you to do these five things. And this guy got really upset. I was like, what are you talking about? This is, I mean, this is what you do, right? And it's kind of like with writing. If you want to really get to it. So instead of having all these people on dating apps, just give each other a piece of paper and say, explain that flower. And you're going to figure it all out real fast. It's really, really true. Yeah, yeah. letter writing, man. That's an, a dying art, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it gets to the heart of the soul. That's for sure. Hey, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for opening up. Thank you for your time. Best yes. of luck with everything. And I'm looking forward to diving into your book. So you'll oh, probably hear you. back from me. So. I would love that. Thank All right, you. take care. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Music